Good morning again. How is everyone? Good. Good. I hope uh, we had a, a great fourth and a great rest of the week. I hope that uh, you were able to recover uh, from your travels or just a uh, recovery from vacation itself. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jonathan DeJesus, and I'm the youth minister here at Hebron. And I have the great privilege and honor to, to bring the word for us today as Gordon and his family have a, are taking a vacation, a well-deserved vacation for them. And, and before we begin, I want to welcome those who are here for the first time or those who have not been here in a while. So welcome and welcome back. Um, as a church, though, we have been uh, walking and, and talking about the life of David. So we have been walking through 1 Samuel um, and if you don't know, 1 Samuel is uh, a book right after Judges, right before 2 Samuel. So um, a quick recap, we're, we're entering into kind of David's life story, kind of in the middle. So if this is your first time here, I want to give you kind of a, a quick little update. Um, Samuel tells the story of three different men. The first, it talks about, um, obviously, Samuel, the prophet, the judge. Um, second, it talks about Saul. It talks about uh, Israel's very first king. And then third, it talks about the young shepherd boy, uh, King David. Um, a major theme that runs throughout 1 Samuel is how God is establishing for himself a house called Israel. And how that house was to be ruled by David and not Saul. Second, we see that, it's, that in Jerusalem was to be the place where David's successors were to establish a temple so that they could worship the one true king, King Yahweh. Now, I have an outline for us so you can be able to see what uh, Samuel kind of looks like. Um, and as we can see, it's kind of broken up into four different acts. Um, the first, it tells the story of Samuel, right, from 1 to 7, 17. Um, the second, it tells this transitioning of monarch before um, there were a kings, there was kings, uh, there were judges. Um, and so it's this kind of transitioning from judges to a kingship. Uh, third, it tells the story of Saul. Israel's first king, and uh, what happens with him. And then fourth act is where we find ourselves today, which is the story of Saul and David, and, and where we are entering into a, an odd passage. It's kind of like uh, when you go home and you turn your TV on for the first time and you start a movie, but it's kind of halfway, and so you're intrigued by the movie. You don't know really what's happening, and so you're just captivated by that, and that's kind of where we are today. We, we're, we're seeing David's life. He's not yet become uh, king or the hero of the story, but he's also not at the beginning of his story, and so we find ourselves in a position where it's kind of in between. Now, um, we will be in 1 Samuel 22, 1 through 5, and if you have a Bible, um, I would love for you to join us there. And before we begin, I want to pray for us that God would meet us here and that he would open our hearts to what he has to say. Hey, God, um, I just want <clears throat> to thank you for all that you've done, God, for, for your grace, your mercy, Lord, for bringing us to your house today, Lord, where we can uh, worship together with the saints, God, where we can um, listen to your word, not my words, because my words are, are nothing compared to what you have to say to us. So God, as, uh, as we dive into your word, may you open our hearts, may you open our minds to hear what you have to say. And we pray all this in your son's name, amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 22, 1 through 5 says this, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adalim. 
And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became the captain over them. And there was and they were with him about 400 men. And David went from there, from the cave, to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, do not remain in the stronghold, depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Now, um, right off the bat, we, we kind of uh, encounter a David that's fleeing from something or from somewhere. So I kind of want to give us a skeleton as to what's happening in this text so that we can dive closer in. First, we see that David is, is leaving a place and he is going to a cave. This cave is called Adel. Now, the second thing we see is that his brothers and his father's household hear of this and say, hey, we want to join you in this cave. And so they do. And then thirdly, there's a band of misfits, all these people who are broken, distressed, that are hurting. They hear of David going to this cave, and so they flock to him. And so now David has this kind of small militia that he is in charge of. Fourth, David leaves the cave, and he goes to a place called Mizpah of Moab. Um, and he goes there to drop off his parents. Fifth, this young man or this man comes in uh, by the name of Gad, and he tells David, hey, you need to leave where you are and go somewhere else. David's life story seems to be a, a, a kind of out of a movie. Has anyone here seen Catch Me If You Can? Anyone? All right. What, what was Leonardo DiCaprio doing the whole movie? He was running. All right. It seems that David's life has been running from the moment that God anointed him to be king, king, from the moment that happened, it's just kind of like his life has been a nonstop marathon. Now, let's, let's kind of break this text down so we can understand what, what God is trying to tell us here today. In the first, in verse one, we see that this cave, um, I entitled the message, The Cave, because it is here that, that David is ultimately starting to, to become the king that God is calling him to be. And so the cave itself, Adullam, is, is halfway between Gath, which is the place that he left, and Bethlehem. Now, scholars have debated about what the meaning of this cave is, and, and most scholars agree to the fact that the cave itself, its meaning means a place of refuge or refuge. And it is in this cave that it, 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 this cave itself holds dear to David's heart. The reason is because in this cave, David writes two different psalms. Now, if you will join me, Psalms 57, um, let's kind of read what David is saying out of this kind of distress. And he says in Psalms 57, it says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in my soul... In my soul takes refuge in you. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storm of destruction passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tra tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid uh, fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp, sharp as swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. 
They set a, a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my ways, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O oh God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O oh harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to God, O oh Lord, among the people. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great. To the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And we get this picture that David in this cave is kind of this joyful, exuberant kind of man who says, you know what, God, I know who you are in my life, and so I will praise you. I will exalt you. So we catch this image of this young man just kind of with his hands in the air saying, God, you are in control. But then he writes Psalms 142. And Psalms 142 tells a whole different kind of story. And if you will turn to Psalms 142, he starts off by saying this. He says, Psalms 142, it says, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my troubles before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see that there is no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from this persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of this prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me. For you will deal bountifully with me. And we see that in, in Psalms 57, David is kind of saying, God, you are merciful. God, you, you are the one who provides shelter. That, that you are the one that will take care of me. That you save me. That you, you are to be exalted because you are faithful. That the whole earth should be full of your glory. But then in Psalms 42, it's kind of this, this, this David who has lost sight of who God is. And so he's kind of on his knees saying, God, where, where are you? Where is the God of mercy? Where is the God who, who is here to, to be my refuge? Where is the God who is here to, to, to lift me up and take me out of this cave? Where is the God that this cave now is no longer my refuge, but it has become my prison? And the question that I ask is, is how is it that David can write two psalms, two different psalms in the same situation? How is it that you can go from being God exalted to, to God, where are you? Well, like David, you and I, when times come, we do the same thing. One second before calamity hits, we say, God, you are to be praised. The second calamity hits, we say, God, where are you? And the problem is that at times we, we allow our situation to become bigger than our God. We focus on the situation. We, we put our situation in this uh, telescopic kind of view and we put God in a microscopic kind of view. We should reverse the role. At times when calamity hits, when confusion hits and disaster is close and we have no idea what to do, we, we tend to isolate ourselves from those we need most. But I would argue that David knew exactly what he was doing. That these are not just two different psalms from two different positions, but rather it's a psalm that echoed the first. In, in this psalm, David is echoing the cry 
of seeking for refuge, that David is saying, you know what, God is still my refuge, that he is echoing this, this humbleness, that God, you are still to be exalted, that you are still to be glorified. And ultimately, he is echoing for us to remember to stay faithful to who God is, that he is faithful, so we should continue to stay faithful, to continue to pray, to continue to seek our refuge in God, to, to, to pray with boldness and confidence because we serve a mighty God who is unwavering in character. We serve a God who is not going to change no matter the circumstances. And there was a, a time in my life where I felt like David of Psalm 142. I was 15 years old and, and disaster hit my home. And my mom and dad decided to say, you know what, after 18 years, we're done. And as a 15-year-old young man, I had no idea what to do. My world was that. It was my parents. And the moment they decided to split, it was like I, I had no idea what to do. And I felt like David in a cave where I was like, God, where are you? Where is this merciful God who cares for us? Does he not love me anymore? Why is this happening to me? And it was in that moment that in the background of my life, that in the behind-the-scenes kind of moment, that there was someone in my family who cared, who was praying for me, who was steadfast in prayer, who said, you know what? God is still faithful. God is still to be exalted. And I'm, that, that although God is unwavering, I should also be unwavering in my prayer to him. You know, there's a beautiful thing in prayer, and it's that in prayer, God tends to show us things the way he sees it and not the way we want to see it. And that um, family member of mine was my grandfather, my grandfather's steadfastness to continue to pray led me to see how God's hand was in my life no matter what, that God was still at work even when I could not see him. You see, families have this, this funny way of knowing when you need them most even when you don't think you need them. Families have a funny way of doing that. And we see that in David's life because what happens? David is fleeing from something and who comes to his rescue? His brothers and his family. I mean, this man is not at a house. He's going to a cave, and his family says, we'll go with you to the cave. All right? And then, and then David, uh, the story kind of gets a little crazy because not only does his family come with him to the cave, but so do those who are broken, hurt, in debt, kind of sick and tired of being sick and tired of what life was thrown at them. And they say, you know what? We want you to be our leader. We want you to take over, and we want to follow you. And it is in this moment that at that very moment that we catch a glimpse of what the gospel does and how the church is full. You see, the church is a band of misfits. The church, right, is, 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 is this group of people who have come together, who, who have experienced life, who have been hurt, who have been broken, who, has, who, who don't really know what else to do. I mean, take a second. Look around you. No, go ahead. Look around. Look to your right. Look to your left. Look behind you. Right? Everyone here has experienced some kind of pain, some kind of hurt, some kind of disaster, a heartbrokenness. They felt this, this pain of what it feels like to, to be humbled. And isn't it funny that we all flock to the church when we hurt? Because we find that the church is a place of refuge, the same as the cave was for David and for his family, so it was for these broken people. 
the church is a place where we find refuge. And, 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 and then we come together and say, God, Jesus, you will be our leader. We will follow you. And isn't it funny that we follow a man that from the moment he was born to the moment he was nailed on the cross, all they wanted to do was kill him. All they wanted to do was kill him because he is the true king, not only of Israel, of the world, but the whole cosmos. Because Jesus is king, we, we tend to find agony and pain wherever we go as followers of Christ. Jesus draws us into his cave, and he becomes our leader. The gospel calls us out of our brokenness and places us amongst others who have experienced the same brokenness and, and experienced the same hurt to find refuge in one person, and that one person is Christ Jesus. The gospel is good news for the brokenhearted to find refuge in God who provides it for us through his son's bloodshed. David, then after experiencing this, does something extraordinary. He does something out of the norm. He does something that that you wouldn't think he would do, but it's in David's character. David is a worshiper, and what he does next in verse 3 is that he worships God. David worships God through his response and through his act of worship by doing this. Psalms 22 says, verse 3 says this, it says, And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. Quick story, a quick background text. Moab, uh, the reason David can go to Moab, Moab, the king of Moab, hated Saul. And so they had a mutual hate, but that wasn't the reason why the king let David there. See, David's great-grandmother was Ruth. She was a Moabite. She had Moabite blood, and so the king knew David because of Ruth. And so she said, you know, he said, I'll take care of your family. Don't worry. And so David's act of worship right, was to obey the commandment. Um, parents, I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. What is the fifth commandment? You should know this one. My mom quoted this to me all the time. Honor your father and your mother. Why? Because you will live long in the land that God has given to you. What David did here was to obey the law that was given to him by God. He worshiped God out of obedience. He still honored his mother, and he still honored his father, even in this crisis. So not only is is God his refuge, not only is this cave become his refuge and where he exalts God, but he responds in worship. He he says, God, I'm going to worship you. And even in difficult times and calamity, when life gets hard and difficult, when it seems that God is absent and he really isn't, we are to act in obedience to him, trusting in his promise in our life, believing in his word over us, Knowing that we serve a God who is unwavering, who is sovereign over all things, that nothing can take God, right? Nothing can, 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 can kind of come up behind him. God is in control of all things. And so David shows us that, that God is our refuge, right? That, that Jesus becomes our true leader, right? That we are flocked to him because of the gospel, and then we, we see how we are to act out of obedience, and, and, and we do that through worship by obeying the law. 
And it is in this moment that we see that God, because of what God has done for us, we become his people. And he calls us to be light in a dark world. God calls us to be light in a dark world. God has called us to himself, restores us through his son, fills us with his Holy Spirit, and then says, hey, I want you to go out and be on mission for me. If you keep reading, if we keep reading David's story, and, and we'll encounter this in a few weeks as well, we, we see how every time David uh, goes out, God says, hey, I want you to do something, and it's going to be for my will. But there is a phrase that is always attached to that, that I will be with you always. And if you are here today and you are a uh, confessing believer, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and King and you begin to live that life, that phrase that God is with you always is also attached to your life. And at times we forget this. At times when, when storms come, we forget that God is with us always. Not sometimes, not, not when big storms come. You know, God doesn't just hide away in a corner and say, take care of yourself. No, God is with us in the midst of our storms, that God has never left us, that God has been there from the beginning and will always be there. We are called to go into the world and create small kingdom outposts where others can find refuge from a sin-stricken world, where others can gravitate to this place and say, you know what, I, I, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of, of this disaster that, that, that keeps overtaking me, and, and I want to place my trust, and I want a new leader. I don't want to lead. I want Christ to lead in my life. David's story shows us how the king and creator of the universe is our true refuge. That no matter the circumstances, that Jesus is our better David. He leads the church the right way. And our response to this church, our response is that we faithfully trust God and know that he is with us always. And so out of this text, this random text in the middle of David's story, David shows us God is our refuge. That Christ is our true leader. And that our response is to worship him, to obey and trust him. And what does he do for us? He fills us with himself and says, I will be with you always. And so I want to begin my descent. And I want to say Bonhoeffer once quoted, and this is what he says about the church. He says, the church is the church only when it exists for others. Not dominating, but helping and serving it must tell men of every calling, of every generation, of every ethnicity, what it means to live for Christ. And what it means to live for Christ is to live for others. Jesus told us that the two greatest commandments were what? Love your Lord with all your, God, with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And then the second one was what? Love your neighbor as yourself. We can do the first part really, really well, but sometimes when it comes to that second part, we tend to fail myself included. At times, we, we, we focus more on me rather than on he or she. We look into the mirror, and all we see is us, when really, when we look into the mirror, all we should see is a reflection of God, because you and I were created in his image to show the world who he is so that they may gravitate to him and that he can be their king. The church, us, this band of misfits that God has brought together, this, this broken people who God has made whole, he calls us to go out, not to stay in the cave, 
Right? We see at the end of, of this story that there's some random guy who appears and, by the name of Gath and tells him, hey, now God is telling you to go somewhere else. Go and do his will. Go into this land and conquer this land. You and I are called into this cave, drawn, redeemed, re, re, reshaped, and God says, I put a new identity on you and I will fill you with myself. Now go out these doors and do the same for others. We're called to be kingdom people who do kingdom things. Kingdom-minded people do kingdom things. And so I want to close with this question for us as a church, as a body. Will you and I, will we become the local church that God has chosen to be his kingdom representatives? Or will we just sit back and allow our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones to wander in darkness without any hope? Let's pray. Hey, God, um, I just want to thank you, Lord, for, for David's story, God, that it is that we can see you in his life, God, that we know the bigger picture, God, but at times in our own lives, we tend to lose sight of it. God, at times in our lives, we tend to focus on the small things, and we tend to forget that you're even there. God, may you become our refuge. May we find refuge in you. Lord, may you become our true leader. Lord, if there is someone who here who, who has not placed their trust in you, God, may, may they do so. Because, God, you are the true king. You will lead us the right way. God, and may we respond out of worship to obey your command, to go out, Lord, and, and go out to all people and tell them about this hope called Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be bold in our prayer. May we have the courage and confidence to do so. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.